electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, a new and busy month for your money, whether stocks are in for better days as the Fed looms and investors brace for more volatility. We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. And joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Brenda Vangelo, Jim Labenthal, Pete Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's show you what the markets are doing now. 12 noon in the east. It's a mixed picture. And we kind of have been all over the place already this morning. There's the Dow down by 51 or so. NASDAQ is up by 48. But we've put new intraday lows in at least for the year for the S&P, the NAS, the NASDAQ 100, and the Russell 2000. And the VIX has been rising throughout the morning. Pete, that's where I really wanted to start today, by zeroing in on the VIX, which was at or slightly above 35. It may have dropped down just a touch since I last saw that in the last hour or so. But what's your read here as we enter a new month after a terrible one? Yeah, terrible month is right. I mean, all the way across the board in April, it just seemed to be awful. But as we get into this new month, the volatility is still here, to your point. Here we are at 35. You know, it wasn't too terribly long ago to start of March. We actually were up there close to these levels as well. So can we go a little bit higher? I think we could, Scott. I mean, I think we're in an environment right now where there's a lot of jitteriness. There's a lot of folks that are, are, that are getting weak hands. And we are seeing selling, selling, selling much more frequently than we had been seeing. Because of that, we are seeing some unbelievable moves, including on Friday, to close out April in a bad way. 500 points on the Nasdaq, 900 points on the Dow. Just tells you a lot more about what April really looked like. And May, right now, we've been all over the map already today, Scott. When you really look at the highs and the lows, and there have been multiple moves throughout the session already, just a couple hours deep, it really does tell you that volatility is here right now. As a matter of fact, I heard the Carlisle CEO talking about volatility and and talking about how they want to be the folks that are out there that can take advantage of this volatility. And I, I totally would agree. I think from a trading perspective right now, it's really, really interesting to be able to trade. For investing, it's difficult, Scott, because if you have any kind of stops in, those stop stops are going to hit and you're going to be out and then you get the move the other direction. That's the kind of markets that we're in right now. It's not just one directional, although it's been mostly down, but we all know there have been some huge updates as well along the way. All right. So Farmer Jim, our resident bull, uh, unwavering uh, for <laughs> that matter. So the VIX is up. Right. Not enough, though, to please at least one very notable market watcher. Here's what Professor Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School told me on Friday in OT. I think there's there might have to be a little more capitulation. I would love actually the VIX to get above 40 for a a day or two to really flush out all the margin and and all the uh, uh, overvaluation, which I think has mainly been flushed out over the last uh, nine months, six months particularly. So I, I think we're very near a bottom, maybe not quite there. It's very hard to predict the short run. All right. That's the professor. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson today. Jim says 
Minimum downside to the S&P, maybe to 3,800 in the near term, as low as 3,460. So he's watching out for that. Any of that influencing the way you're viewing the market today? It, it really isn't, Scott. Um, I, I'm a long-term investor, and that doesn't mean that I'm ignoring the short-term. Let me address some of the short-term indicators that were just mentioned, and I'll start with the VIX. Um, getting to 40 would be an extraordinary level. And, and I think it's easy for the professor to lay that number out there in light of recent levels. But it wasn't that long ago that if we got into the high 20s on the VIX, that would indicate a lot of fear. Um, go back to Thanksgiving of last year after Omicron broke and that Friday after Thanksgiving when it was a really lousy day. I mean, the markets were off multi-percentage points. Oil was down 10%. The VIX got up to 35 and I just, I just don't think that the, that level of fear is warranted. I, we all know what the Fed is going to do. That is not new news. Um, what is new news and I think is being underappreciated is how well earnings are coming in. And I understand what I just said may, may sound controversial, but the basic fact is earnings estimates for this year and next continue to rise. And that's as simple as it is. As much as we want to talk about where, whether earnings are going to slow down or not, the simple fact is they aren't so far. Maybe they will, but this is not, you know, this is not an economy that looks like it's slowing down either, not with jobless claims where they are, not with the ISM manufacturing survey where they are. So I want to sum this up, Scott. This is the most important point. You can invest with your heart or you can invest with your mind. Investing with your heart will tell you, oh, my God, it's scary. The market's down. Let's sell. That's likely to be the wrong decision. Investing with your minds is saying the forward multiple on the S&P is 17 and a half and earnings are growing. This is a good time to buy. So. There's a lot to unpack there, and, and I want to try and un unpack some of it for, for our viewers, okay? Um, earnings estimates are probably too high, right? So if you think that estimates are going up, I don't know how... I totally disagree. I don't know how I estimates can... I completely disagree. Uh, okay, well, uh, let me finish, and then we can have a debate. I'm, I'm happy to do that. Um, I don't know how they can continue to go up if you get earnings reports that suggest that revenue growth is slowing almost across the board. Right. And I'm not just talking about from big tech. That's been reported. Savita Subramani over at Bank of America calls this the end of euphoria. She calls this and she, she's looking at the numbers, the weakest guidance and revisions since the second quarter of 2020. While consensus 2022 EPS rose one percent since April 1st, it was entirely driven by energy. So both their guidance ratio and their earnings revision ratio has now plummeted to the lowest since the second quarter of 2020. I feel like the numbers, Jim, are telling a different story and that you are in danger of doing what you said you shouldn't do. And that's viewing things with your heart and not your head. Nope, nope. So, okay, fine. I mean, here are the numbers. The IBES estimates continue to go up as of last week for the S&P 500 this year and next. And that's just a fact. I, I, I can't say it any other more way than that. As far as guidance goes, I'll grant you it's a mixed picture, but you've got to look through this a little bit, okay? For every Amazon, there's the airlines that are absolutely killing it. And all that it's saying is that the economy is shifting from stay at home, buy things, to reopening, get out there and travel. And even, even if you look at, say, last week in technology, sure, Apple's guidance for the next quarter wasn't that good. Qualcomm's was. It's a mixed bag. And when I look at that, what I look is Apple's uh, second quarter, the forward quarter, is highly affected by China's slowdown, which we've seen over the last two years related to COVID passes. 
it passes. It will likely pass quickly this time, and then we're off to the races. So you got to use your logic here. I'm not using my heart. I'm looking at the numbers, 17 and a half forward multiple on the S&P 500, while estimates continue to rise. This is a good buying spot right here. Wow. Okay, Joe, what's your take on what Jim just said? Because I really want to debate this issue. This is what everything, this is where it all comes down to, right? Our viewers are watching all this. They, they think that Jim is on to something, so they want to get in the market. They think that now's a good buying opportunity, uh, and it may very well prove to be. I don't know. Do you? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I invest with my wallet. I think Jim, and I've told this to Jim privately, I think Jim is ultimately going to be right on the direction of the market. I just think, unfortunately, Jim is early. Um, I think there's a big difference between the guidance for Apple and the guidance for Qualcomm as it relates to the effect on the market overall. I still suspect that we've got a 60-day period where markets and risk assets have to continue to normalize in response to what Federal Reserve policy is going to be. We'll talk a little bit more about that later because I think they're way behind the curve. I mean, but I think that, you know, let me stop you real quick. I mean, just I'm sorry, but let me stop you real quick. This notion of making a call. Well, it's ultimately going to be right, but you're early. I mean, come on now. When you make a call now and then two years now, two years from now, it's it's you say it was early. I mean, it's either right or it's wrong. It's either a good time to buy stocks right now or not. Not this we're, early we're call. It's a, too early nonsense. We're a matter of months, Scott. And you just got to hang in there. I mean, Pete and Joe and Brenda will tell you, a bottom looks exactly like this. You grind it out, all right? It's up on Thursday. It's down on Friday. It's up on Monday or wherever we're going to end up. But what Joe is speaking about, and it is important, he's speaking about sentiment, which is what I'm saying you've got to look through. Maybe we grind this out for another couple of weeks. I don't think it's a couple of months. Not when you get past the Fed. Not when you get a few more CPI reports before the next uh, Fed meeting. I just don't think it's a couple of months. Maybe you grind it out for another week or two. But you've got to acknowledge we've been grinding it out for four months already. Joe, I give it back to you, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just want to make the distinction here be- no, I between saying something is too early and he's eventually going to be right. I mean, if you say it's going to rain outside and it's sunny every day and it rains finally, you're like, well, That's I told you. the same thing for the bears. I told you. That's the same it's the same thing for Mike Wilson. Mike Wilson's been calling a bear market for a year and a half, and you applaud him. I mean, give me a break. Applaud him? I'm talking two months, What do you not mean a year I applaud him? I've told him he's wrong. What do you mean? That's my, that's my right, exact well, I, criticism of Mike Wilson, is that if you tell I, I, me it's it, going it, to rain it, every day, and then it's sunny, and then six months later it finally rains, you can't claim you're right. Good. Good. I'm not telling you to wait a year and a half. I'm telling you that right now is a good time to buy. Just got to have a little guts for crying out loud. Joe? Step into it. You may have to wait two months. My goodness. Let's not cry over two months. Step in. Okay. Okay. Well, you have the crystal ball. Joe, go ahead, please. <laughs> so uh, for, for me, I want the Federal Reserve to move faster. I want the Federal Reserve both in May and June to give us more aggressive rate hikes, more normalization. In terms of your question regarding time, It's a fair question. And I I just rely on statistics. If this is going to be 1973, 2001 or 2008, and the equity market's going to fall by 45%, it's going to take four years to recapture that high. If, and I think this is what we've got right now, this is more of a correction where markets fall somewhere between 15 to call it 25%. Then you've got ultimately somewhere around an eight to nine month process for markets to recapture highs. 
We're basically five months into this right now. I said the last week of June is when I think the market is ultimately going to bottom, and bottom rather, and begin that recapture period. And the distinction really is: Do you think this is a correction or a bear market? I think the evidence says it's a correction. Brenda. What's your view? I would agree that it's a correction. I'll say this is a period of significant digestion, right? Over the last six to nine months, we've gone from a period where rates were zero across the board, near zero, and the only place to go was the stock market. So we had valuations that were probably higher than they should have been. Um, and now we've had a complete reversal, right? Where suddenly, even though the Fed's raised rates only one time, the whole yield curve has moved up pretty significantly, especially short-term interest rates. And meanwhile, valuation has come down. Uh, we think that going forward, we're likely to have valuation more in line with historical averages. So, and that wasn't the case over the last couple of years where we had really elevated levels of, of valuation. But I do think the Fed's going to move, likely going to move fast. But the economy is still really healthy. I agree with Jim on that point. If we look at a lot of different measures, you could argue it's even healthier than it was pre-pandemic. And at that point, the Fed funds rate was at 2.4%. So I think the Fed can move a little more quickly here and likely not upset the economy. And I think as long as corporate earnings hang in there, and I'll say for Q1, uh, there's been this disagreement, right, between strategists and analysts, where strategists have taken numbers down and analysts haven't. They've been moving up. But I think so far for Q1, still more to go, but it's the analysts that won this quarter in terms of getting it right. Um, and so that trend, I think, could has the potential to continue and at least have a positive earnings year, which should be supportive of the equity market moving Look, the, forward. A lot of this, obviously, is, is going to have to do with, with what the Fed not only does this week, what it says, and then what it ultimately does after the fact. And if the stock market continues to be upset and volatile in the manner in which it has now, is that going to have any influence whatsoever on, on Fed policy? Because I keep hearing from people that the market has gotten way over its skis on what the Fed's going to do. It's priced in way too much. Bond market is, is leading the whole thing, and it's just overly overdoing it. And let's bring in Steve Leisman on that note. Specifically, Steve, on the note of whether if this sort of upset in the market persists, is it going to force the Fed's hand to ease off? Because then you're going to have real questions about the Fed's cred. Um, <clears throat> let me answer that question. Good afternoon, by the way, Scott, and to your Steve. fabulous panel there. Great, great, great discussion. Um, I'm going to answer that in two ways. One is I do think there's a pressure point for Powell when it comes to the stock market. Uh, and second, I don't think we've reached it yet. And that is not the indication in the market. And I want to give you a very quick narrative here, which is that on Friday morning at 830, you had the employment cost index come out. That's a, a measure that Powell said he's watching. You've also had the Fed's preferred inflation indicator, uh, the PCE index come out. And both of those were high uh, and maybe higher than and higher than expected. Um, the result was that bond yields uh, rose and the outlook for Fed rate hikes rose as well. And the market went down. And notice what I just said. They did not work inversely. So what that told me was the market itself basically believes what I believe where we are right now, which is that the outlook for the Fed's market for the Fed is not working inversely with the market. So, so far, the market doesn't believe it's there. And I'll walk you through some very quick pricing right now, Scott. There is still, even after that massive decline on Friday, a 100 percent chance built in of four 50 basis point rate hikes. There is some chance also of a 75. Now, that's where the play is between now and 
uh, through July and uh, through July, does the Fed do a 75? That number, that percentage has gone down. But as for the 450s, they're baked in. You're at two and a quarter to two and a half percent by September, Scott. And that's where the market is pricing. It does not seem to be moving at the moment relative to what's happening in the stock market. So the indication, I think one way to put this in a way that I'm sure your traders will understand certainly better than I do, is the Fed put remains out of the money. And I'm not sure where that is, but it's certainly out of the money now as far as pricing in the Fed funds market. I want I want to get Jim's opinion on what you just said, 100 percent for 550 or 450 point hikes, maybe maybe a 75. Are, are you one of those, Jim, who thinks that the Fed, I mean, the market is way ahead of itself on the Fed, that 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 is not going to happen because, the you know, you, you paint such a rosy picture of everything. Yeah, th- this is a great conversation. I like the way you set it up, Scott, Steve. I like your answers. I don't think the Fed put is relevant to my investment thesis. Let me start there. I don't think the Fed gives a hoot about what I do or what any equity investor does. I think that what they really concern themselves with is inflation. Now, 50 basis points this, this week, Powell as much said so, and he doesn't want to surprise the market. The market's giving him leeway to do 50 basis points in June, but you get two CPI reports between now and the June 15th uh, meeting. Steve, could that not, and maybe it doesn't, but could those reports not come in easier than expected and take a little bit of wind out of the sails for 450 basis points hikes? That's my thesis. Not that he's going to bail out the equity markets, but that inflation is what we're supposed to look at. Yeah, I think that's right, Jim. And I'll give you a little tease on our Fed survey tomorrow, which I'm just crunching the data now, so not ready to put it up on a full screen yet. But I can tell you that the 30 or so economists and fund strategists and market strategists who look at these things have a much more dovish outlook um, on the Fed than the, uh, than, the, than the Fed funds market does or than the pricing in the bond market. I don't know quite what to do with that, but they're not going quite so far. I'll give you a tease on that. For tomorrow, um, there's uh, concern about the economy in there. There's concern about inflation. And there is a sense, by the way, Jim, among this group, not to give it all away, that inflation may have peaked. What the Fed does with that, I'm with you on board with this idea of 250s, maybe 350s through the summer. um, And then I think the Fed's going to look around. I do think they want to get to 200, two and a quarter, which is the estimate of neutral by many Fed officials and then stop and look around. I think maybe the extent to which the market is over its skis, it's the certainty with which it gets there very quickly and the certainty with which it goes above neutral. Steve, I'm going to say thanks here because there are a few things I want to get to uh, before I have to take a break. I appreciate it. Steve Leisman, and what's going to be a very big week for us, talk for soon. him in the market, uh, obviously speaking. Let's, let's talk about how this conversation is, is relevant for tech, NASDAQ, which is coming off the worst month. Certainly April was the worst month since 08. Kramer and others have declared the FANG acronym Pete dead, right? I mean, after Netflix Mm -hmm. and some of these other results, Facebook, Meta, in April, Microsoft was down 10, Alphabet down 18, Amazon down 24%, Apple down 9.5, and Meta down 10. Is it time to abandon this trade as a place to look for safety, at least for the time being? I would say some of that trade, absolutely, whether that's Netflix or, or, or some of the other names. But I would say Apple still stands up, doesn't it? I mean, I know it's gotten hit a little bit. You mentioned 9% to the downside. But when you look at their numbers, their numbers were still fine. I don't think there was any numbers that people were so worried about. As a matter of fact, the initial reaction 
it was a it was it bounced around a little bit, but it, it seemed like it was going to be a pretty strong day for Apple. But then I think it got dragged down a lot by what was going on with Amazon and some of the weakness there. So, you know, I think it just depends on the names. Obviously, as a group, yes, I would say that I would abandon it. I'm right there with Jimmy. He's been great this entire time. I'm, I'm sure he's going to come up with another great acronym. But I do think that, you know, there, there, there are the haves and the have-nots. And I would also add this. Facebook has done a great job on this particular element of what they did this quarter with their earnings. Because that previous quarter was absolutely horrendous. We all know that. But then they came back. They had revenue growth. They had, you know, the, the monthly active users, the daily active users were all back. They really did backpedal to back where they were, even though they're still working on meta. I was fine with that. They took their eye off the ball. Now it's back on the ball. So I think that that's why we're seeing Facebook sort of react the way it has lately, which is a lot better than some of those other names. It took its medicine. It was awful when they made those mistakes. But I do still think that there will be acronyms that come out. Jimmy's going to come out with something very creative, I'm sure. Apple's going to have to be a part of it. You heard what Buffett said this weekend. He would have bought more, but Apple started moving back up to the upside. Right. That tells you a lot about him after buying $600 million worth. He wanted to get more, but he couldn't. So now he's just going to patiently wait. Yeah. Um, Apple, by the way, does figure into some of the committee moves, which we are going to get to because there are many. Joe has rebalanced the Joe T. So he has many, um, one, two, three, four, five, six or so new buys that he's added to the Joe T. He sold uh, a big name that plays into this conversation, too. And we'll get to all of that coming up. Plus, we'll have a ne- our next guest is sticking with his call for the S&P to finish much higher than it is here. Much, much, much higher. We're going to debate that with the committee next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I mentioned our next guest was sticking with his very bullish S&P target. It's BMO's Brian Belsky. The birthday boy. Happy birthday. It's good to have you back. Thanks so much for having us. All right. Um, you've obviously been on your bull retreat with, with Jim Labenthal. You guys have been hanging <laughs> out and talking a lot because you have to have the same perspective if you're sticking with 5,300 as your S&P target. And I ask you it every time because I think it's relevant every time, given what the market's done. It is. And it, with much humility, we're wrong right now, how many people come on your network and say that they're wrong? Uh, you know, humility uh, generates wisdom and pride generates disgrace. And, and Jim and I text and talk more than you know. 
and I think both of us have faith. We do believe in fundamentals. Some of the numbers that have been thrown around are not accurate, uh, by the way, in terms of revisions and the like, and in terms of guidance. And I think the market, Scott, really the last 20 years, uh, has become so macro-dominated that these macro figures uh, have become such an academic practice and people are managing their money on this. For instance, when you take a look at year-over-year PCE, year-over-year PPI, year-over-year CPI, those are the academic practices to, to, to judge inflation. But if you start looking at the month-by-month, -month, it's already beginning to roll over. And even Leesman is talking about that. So again, we're wrong right now. We are bulls longer term. This is a correction. I think I agree with the rest of the panel. Uh, when we come out of these corrections, you typically see anywhere from a 25 to 30% recovery in stock prices. 5,300 obviously is a very aggressive uh, target. We're gonna maintain it. Uh, once we start to see the market kind of find a footing here, we'll re we look at that, Scott, quite frankly, but we wanna see a bottom uh, be delivered here, and we think the bottom is coming very, very soon. So you question the numbers on earnings and, and revisions, but the numbers don't lie in terms of slowing revenue growth. And I, I mean, I pointed out because it's relevant, right? Growth is slowing. Top line sales growth is slowing at some of the biggest companies on earth. And it's, if, it's, if it's slowing at those companies, you darn better believe it's going to start slowing if it isn't already at a bunch of other companies. Earnings Two things are, on that. Earn, earnings yeah, okay, estimates so you, are going to have to come down. How can they not? Well, okay, so if you look out over 500 companies and you don't just look at fiscal year one earnings revisions, which that other person is, if you look at a combination of FY1 and FY2, a diffusion index, earnings revisions are still going up. The surprises that we saw in first quarter were a little below first quarter averages, but well above the longer term average with respect to annual averages. Jim is right, first quarter, second and third and fourth quarter numbers have gone up since the end of the year. This is something that we've talked about on air, but nobody seems to believe us because they're so focused on one or two of the three of the big names. I agree that the FANG moniker, you have to be a stock picker. You shouldn't own all the FANGs in size. You should only own a couple in size and for different reasons. So I think this exemplifies the stock picker's market that we've been talking about, the transition back to normalcy. This is going to be a process that's going to take several months. And I think under that, it's still the best bet in the world to own U.S. stocks. But I still think we're the best equity asset in the world. And that's why I think flows from other regions, including Europe and Asia, are going to come back to the U.S. So the, is the Fed entirely in the market? Because it, it would seem to me that you can't get to where you want to get to for the S&P unless you believe that. Well, I think that the market, here's something radical. I think the market is going to rally on Wednesday. The stock market is going to rally on Wednesday uh, because you sell the rumor and you buy the news. I agree that we're going to see 250 basis point increases. And then I think we have a whoa, 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 Miss Lippy moment where the Fed kind of looks around and starts to see that monthly data roll over and that inflation truly is peaking. Then we have some other things going on, like maybe the war ends. Maybe we start to see supply chains open. And remember, uh, consumption is important, Scott. Two-thirds of our economy uh, is the consumer. Mr. Moynihan at Bank of America was very clear with respect to what's happening at that bank in terms of spending. I have the very good fortune in my job at BMO to go around and talk to private companies on the commercial banking side. Mm -hmm. I recently did a, a roundtable a couple of weeks ago in Milwaukee. All 50 of the CEOs were very bullish, and they want to go get loans and grow their business. So that's what we're sticking to. I thought the Apollo CEO earlier today was 
made some very interesting comments. We have a long way to go. That was the quote that he had regarding valuation and the reset that has to happen to 2019 levels. In some cases, we're still way elevated above that, that you have to revert to the mean, and we still have a long way to go. Why is he wrong? Oh, he's not wrong. Remember, private equity uh, had a terrible year in 2018 because the interest rates were going up. Private equity needs lower interest rates. Man, he's not talking if, about, I'll, like, he's talking about the market. Are you, are, yeah, I mean, well, are, are you going to dump on private <clears throat> equity because he said that and he works for private equity? I'm not going to dump on private equity at all, Scott. What I'm saying is private equity needs the stock market to go lower. Private equity needs valuations to go lower because that's their business. I know, they but you're suggesting, that his view, well. you're suggesting that his view is disingenuous because he's only talking his own book to make his business better. Like nobody outside of their own world can have a view of anything. What if he's right? Everybody can have, what, what everybody can have a view on everything. Yeah, that's what, what makes what if, a market. But what if he's right? That the fact that you had all this liquidity pushed into the system, which bloated valuations and liquidity is being pulled out faster than it went in. And that's going to have an impact on valuations. And it hasn't been reflected enough yet. People aren't appreciating what don't fight the Fed on the way down means relative to on the way up where no one fights it. Now here, everybody wants to fight it and suggest, no, this is not going to happen. Earnings are going to hold up. I don't understand that. Two years this week, two years ago this week, Scott, the 10-year Treasury was trading at five basis points, five. The bond market's done a wonderful job getting ahead of this, okay? So the bond market's already risen. We're almost at 3%. 295 basis points, the Fed's way behind. Everybody knows that, right. okay? And private equity should have, should have crushed it in 2020 and 2021. And now they're trying to talk the market down. I do think that's disingenuous, and that's why we're a public investor, because we have all the information and we do the analysis that way. So anybody who thinks that, that valuations still need to be reset, I'm sorry, I'm not going to get off this. Anybody who thinks that valuations still need to be re reset is talking the market down? Listen, um, the, mar the market has done a wonderful job discriminating against high multiples, a wonderful job. Look at what happened to great companies like Netflix and even Google and Apple and Microsoft to, to some degree. So again, the market, given the way that we've had this great correction and we've had pull back some of these high multiple stocks, we think it's genu genuinely bottoming out some of these growth areas. And remember, you gotta be really careful, Scott, here, because if you want growth to slow, then when growth is scarce, growth outperforms. And guess what comes back? technology. So what are, you, what are you going to buy? That's why we think you need to be more balanced in both growth and cyclical here. Watch where the bottom comes in. Wait for the Fed to do its job and then, then uh, uh, um, adjust your portfolio and invest accordingly. I enjoyed spending your birthday with you, Brian. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. You have a good evening. That's Brian Belsky joining us today. Coming up, we're going to get to all the moves the investment committee is making. I said there are many as Joe has rebalanced the Joe T. We're back after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. 
Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. And welcome to the ETF portion, ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. Commodities are the big story in the global economy and in the ETF world right now. And we have one of the ETF experts with us today. Sal Gilberti is the CEO of Tucrium. He runs ETFs for corn, wheat, soybeans, and sugar. Sal, your corn and wheat ETFs seeing huge inflows in the past few months. You've made the point that Ukraine is an important source of supply for corn. This is a critical moment for the global corn harvest. The corn ETF, a seven-year high for you. Why is this a critical moment right now for corn? Because it's planting season, Bob. Right now in Ukraine, they have the same season here in the northern as the northern hemisphere here in the North America. We they need to be planting. They need to be planting corn right now. They're a major exporter. They were expected to export almost 14 percent of of global corn exports. And if they don't get that corn planted, it won't be there at all. It won't be in storage. It won't be anywhere. It will not be. It, it just won't live. And so they've got to get that corn planted. And they're saying we may lose 50 percent of it. They may only plant 50 percent of their corn. It's a really important time right now. Yeah. And you've made the point also the Russia is the largest exporter of fertilizer. If there's less fertilizer out, out there, that means a lower yield on corn. So all sorts of very important things happening right now. Also coming up, an even more important commodity, we're talking about wheat now. Ukraine, also an important source of wheat. It gets harvested in June, just about a month and a half. What's the outlook right now? Uh, not good. Right now, we see the wheat is growing. It needs to be fertilized, and it's, it's probably not getting fertilized in a lot of places. So you're going to have a lower yield. It was planted. It will grow. It may not grow as well. When it's there in, in June and July, it needs to be harvested. That's still up in the air, and the market needs to price that right now. I think the market's pricing that it's, it's not coming at all, but we should see 30 to 50 percent of it according to official estimates. Okay. We're going to have much more on the outlook for corn, for wheat, soybeans, and sugar with Sal coming up on ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Tucrium has also recently received approval for a Bitcoin futures ETF. We'll get an update on the prospects for a pure play Bitcoin ETF in 2022. Sal will be joined by Brian Lake. He's the global head of ETF solutions at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. Bond alternatives are the other big ETF investing story this year. And Brian will update us what investors are doing in that space. ETFedge.cnbc.com coming up. Halftime, back right after this. Good day, everyone, and welcome back to Halftime. I'm Tyler Matheson. Here's our CNBC News update at this hour. The Congressional Committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol wants to talk with three Republican House lawmakers. It has sent letters seeking voluntary cooperation from Representatives Andy Biggs, Mo Brooks, and Ronnie Jackson. Among other things, the panel wants to know why members of the right-wing Oath Keepers group were asked by its leaders to provide Representative Jackson with personal security assistance that day. In a unanimous ruling, the Supreme Court says today the city of Boston should have allowed a Christian flag to be raised in front of its city hall. The judges say that since the city has allowed dozens of other groups to fly their flags outside the building, the rejection of a similar request from a religious group violated its First Amendment rights. And New York City has raised its COVID risk level to yellow. It is recording about 
2,500 new cases each day. That's up from about 600 in early March. I think, Scott, that would be no shock to many of us in the New York market. Well, Ty, thanks. That's Tyler Matheson. Well, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, they riffed on a lot this weekend at the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting, including Robin Hood. Here's Charlie Munger. Listen. Robin Hood when it came out and went public and oh. got alerted by everybody and all the short-term gambling and big commissions and hidden kickbacks and so on and so on. It was disgusting. Yeah. And it says so last year and they got mad at you and they sold a bunch of their stock and they got the money and... Yeah, but now they're, it's unraveling. God, yeah. God is getting just. But a lot of the insiders have gotten, no, but they've gotten a lot of money from it. I mean... They were big sellers, as I remember. That may be, but yeah. there's, a, there's been some justice. All right. Well, Robin Hood gang uh, ripped Charlie Munger in response. I, I don't need to read the whole thing, but needless to say, um, they ripped Mr. Munger. Joe, what is your view on what they had to say? And I'm not sure how we're going to judge this period some years from now during a pandemic where this cohort came into the market. There was not much else going on. Sporting events were dark. Found a place to maybe have some of the same sort of enjoyment. I don't know. But how do you assess what Charlie Munger had to say in this whole Robin Hood affair if you look at the most recent earnings where that stock was? And it's a single-digit stock now. Yeah. Well, I, I think the perspective uh, from both Charlie Munger and the response from, from Robin Hood are probably to a certain extent extreme. I think somewhere in the middle is, is probably the reality of what Robin Hood is all about. I keep using the word normalization. Normalization also has to occur as it relates to a lot of the speculative behavior in financial markets. I think that's a process that's unfolding. I think Robin Hood, through quote-unquote innovation, is going to have to be more traditionalized as markets move forward and markets look a little bit more structured or markets look a little bit more respectful of valuation. So as far as the stock itself, I wouldn't buy it. I thought earnings were uh, not good last week, obviously. I, I know, and I'll, I'll talk about Kathy Wood and the ARC Fund. It's a big position for mm -hmm. her uh, mm -hmm. in that innovation fund. I'm not sure I see the innovation there with Robinhood. They're going to have to somehow compete and innovate if they're going to be able to uh, effectively move this company so, forward. So, Jim, I'm going to put you on the spot. You, you generally don't shy away from that. Is Munger terribly out of touch, or is he on to something? So let me take the emotion out of this, because that's what I'm saying. Um, if I've got a choice between being educated by Robin Hood or Charlie Munger, having no emotion and just looking at their investment returns, I go with Charlie Munger in a blink of an eye, all day, all week, all month, all year, all life. End of story. That's how you're summing it up. I mean, the guy's track record speaks for itself. Are there words you think I can add to the Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger track record? No, but I mean, that and doesn't we, mean that, uh, you know, that they get every single thing right okay. or always have. They haven't. Is there a long-term right, track I'll, record I'll of what it is? Of I'll course. Dance, I'll dance. I'll dance, Scott. Okay. The, what Robin Hood did in its so-called education of retail investors was encourage them to pile into fanboy stocks that had no earnings, high multiples of sales that went up when money was cheap or cost nothing and have plummeted since. 
There is a lesson to be learned from that, I will grant you. There is also a lesson to be learned from thinking about Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and evaluating financial statements, balance sheets, and profitability. Okay, I mean, you use the word encourage, which is a loaded word, Brenda. Jim says they encouraged people, did Robin Hood, to take these excess risks and, and the like. I don't know if that's a fair characterization or not. At the end of the day, people make their own decisions. Right. And if we look back over the last couple of years, particularly after March of 2020, it was pretty hard to go wrong if you were willing to put some money in and invest. So I think a lot of people, whether they are really being encouraged by Robinhood or not, were, were experiencing a lot of success. Um, and so that just fueled the interest even more in the moment, because, Scott, as you, as you mentioned, you know, everyone was at home. There wasn't a lot else going on. Um, so a lot of people really became very engaged. But I think after moments like we've had this year, there's a real um, sense of, oh, boy, maybe I don't know everything I thought I knew. Um, and maybe this isn't my second calling here. Um, and so and, and I can get out and I can go places and I can go to events and sporting events and so on. So I do think that engagement in general is just going to go down for this company, um, especially based on and what we saw over the last couple of years. Right. I still think that's repeatable here in the short term. So let's do a quick break. Uh, as we said, Pete's got unusual activity still to come. We have to get to Joe's many moves, uh, many of which are um, very interesting names as well. Brenda's got some moves, too. We'll do it next. Okay, Joe, let's do it because uh, you got a lot to do. Uh, you sold Meta mm -hmm. from the uh, portfolio, and then you liquidated what you call liquidating losers. Shopify got pummeled, EPAM Systems pummeled, Align Technology pummeled, Etsy and Zebra Tech. Talk to me. I don't stay with losers very long. We mentioned before uh, that FANG ultimately has ended. And I think a lot of what I'm doing, Scott, was in anticipation of that. I'm equally weighted. I rebalance quarterly so I could be far more tactical. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Just look at the overall sector exposure right now. I came into 2022 with a combined exposure between technology and communication services at 33%. Now I'm sitting at 21.5%. Other competing strategies can't do that because they're rebalancing twice a year. So I feel really good about what was liquidated from the portfolio. Yep. I feel really good about what we added to the portfolio. Let's go through a little of that. So you bought Apple just mm -hmm. north of 157. Mm -hmm. You bought Amazon again at 2485. Let's start there. Okay, I can be more tactical. Sold at the end of January, Apple at 170. Now Apple pulls back. We're able to re-enter the position at 157. That's based on a strong momentum factor for Apple over the previous quarter. Amazon down 27% from where we sold it on July 30th at 33.27. Believe it or not, Amazon has actually improved yeah on the quality yeah, factor definitely. in terms of its balance sheet. So glad to enter Amazon here again, being tactical. You established positions in some healthcare names, Bristol Myers, J&J, Lilly, and Merck. I did. And I think overall, when you're going to look at the ETF, you're going to see the average PE has come down significantly. That's where I want it. It sits right now at about 20. Beta has come down to about 1.09. We've got a lot of blue chips. You've mentioned those four. Healthcare carried in an overweight in addition. 
new positions in Coke, Pepsi. We've even got some positions in gold uh, companies, Barrick Gold and Newmont Mining. So this is looking more a more diversified, qualitative type of product as we're positioning for the normalization process with the Federal Reserve over the coming months. I think that's going to be important. You're defending against elevated risk, elevated volatility. Okay, good stuff, Joe. Thanks you. Thank you for that. Uh, okay, we'll still do Brenda and Peter has unusual activity, and we'll do that when we come back. All right, Pete, tell us. Unusual, what do you have today? All right. Okay, everything is very, very short-term. It's expiring on Friday. Lucid's my first one, Scott. Now, they've got earnings this week as well. May 6th of the expiring. These are the 20-strike calls. They bought 17,000 of these in Lucid. They did sell some upside calls to finance this as well. Those are going for about 80 cents. Secondly, I've got Cisco. Now, Cisco's interesting because... They came in with some size, 19,000. They were buying this Friday's expiring 52 and a half calls, very inexpensive options. I didn't go with those. I went to the 50 strike calls instead. But they bought 19,000 of these 52 and a half for about eight to 10 cents. Very interesting seeing both of these, both very, very short term. Everything I'm seeing today is extremely short term in the options world. Okay, good stuff, Pete. Thank you. When we're back, final yep. trades. Thanks. Overtime tonight, 4 p.m. right there. Tom Lee is going to join us. See what he thinks now. Um, after Friday's big upset in the market, terrible month of April, now a new month. You know how bullish he's been. We'll get his point of view. Plus, we have a strategist coming on who is making a very big call in the market. It's a change call as well. Uh, so you don't want to miss that as well. And then I, I want to remind you, too, Jeffrey Gunlock is going to join us on Wednesday on Fed Day, which we have. Very much looking forward to. He was with us the last Fed day, right after the decision. He'll be back with us again. Final trades. Brenda, you're first. Yeah, so Zoetis. This is the largest provider of vaccines and medicine for pets and livestock. Really, the stock is down 30% here. We think there's an opportunity. It's a cash business, not dealing with Medicare and insurance companies. Um, and there's been a lot of pets that were acquired over the last few years that will likely be needing care. Okay. I should note as well, you sold PayPal and you sold Merck. Um, we obviously know what's happened with PayPal. So Brenda's uh, said enough. En enough is enough. Got rid of that. Pete, what's your final trade? I'm going to give you GDX. I've seen a lot of option paper coming in there lately, Scott. It's way down from where it was. I think there's an opportunity for some upside here. All right. Farmer Jim. Paramount reports earnings uh, tomorrow morning. Scott will be on with you tomorrow. You know I'm not going to hide. I know you're not at all, Jim. Uh, and that space, man, I, I can't wait to see that report because that space, I'm trying to look at it right now. Uh, Joe, go ahead. I'm going to take a look at this one, though. Go ahead. Yeah, we added uh, Occidental Petroleum. It's one of four names that we increased in Joe T. Energy exposure now at 6.43% relative to 4.17% for the S&P 500. Okay. I'm looking at Paramount, Jimmy. 52-week high, 47 bucks. It's at $30, and a lot of those stocks have sold off hard lately. Yeah, we're going to have to see if they add the 5 million subscribers that we think they are. If they do, that really puts to bed whether Netflix was industry-wide or company-specific. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, we'll watch that. Guys, thank you. I'll see you in the OT. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older 
like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.